Welcome to Hometown California, a production of the Rural County Representatives of California, advocating for California's rural counties for nearly 50 years. Hometown California tells the rural story through the eyes of those who live, work, and play in the rural communities of the Golden State. This is Hometown California. I'm your host, Paul Smith. Joining me today is Assemblymember Jim Wood. Mr. Wood represents the 2nd Assembly District in the State Assembly. That district comprises a number of counties, most of them RCRC counties. In fact, I think all of them are. Those counties include Del Norte, Humboldt, Mendocino, Trinity, and the northern and coastal portions of Sonoma County. So we are excited to have Mr. Wood here, also known as Dr. Wood, Assemblyman Wood, and then to some just plain old Jim. So thank you for joining us today. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. And you can just call me just plain old Jim. That's yeah. how I always introduce myself there, to people. There you go. Well, thank you. You have been in Northern California since 1987, and you are a dentist by practice and trade. And we're going to like to hear about that and, and share your insights there. And then, of course, you got into politics with being on city council there in Sonoma County, I believe, in the 2006 range. So you have a an interesting life resume, which I'm sure we're going to be very excited to hear about. Again, really glad you're here, Jim. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. So let's just get into it. You are a dentist by trade, as we just mentioned, and you are now a politician. You went from basically college to dentistry and then switched professions and went into being a, an elected official, kind of leaving the dental practice world when, when you obviously get all the way to the state assembly. Well, obviously, it's not your traditional path to politics. I never went to dental school thinking that someday I'd become a politician. Life has a way of having experiences that guide you in a certain direction, and I think this is a perfect example of that. Out of school, went to Modesto and practiced for a year there, but really wanted to be up north further and use that time to explore areas and found the little town of Cloverdale in Sonoma County, the northern part of Sonoma County. And what I found there was a population of folks that needed my care. And what I also found was that as a small community, the smallest in the county, we were often ignored. And often a lot of people didn't even really know Cloverdale was in Sonoma County. They didn't, a lot of people didn't know Cloverdale. And uh, that kind of began my evolution of becoming more involved. And what I found with uh, organized dentistry, so our dental societies and things like that, is that that in general, everything was governed and uh, influenced by large urban areas. And that is where I really began to start to focus on the needs of rural communities. And it led me to a planning commission in the city of Healdsburg, where I moved ultimately to a city council. And then uh, for, for me, kind of a once-in-a-lifetime shot to take a chance at the legislature. And, and that's really how it evolved. Yeah. And do you think you'll return to dentistry? Is that a, still a passion of yours? In life, we go through changes with what we want to do in our outlook. Where do you see dentistry fitting in, assuming there is an end in politics for you? Well, I think there's an end in politics for everybody, whether they, whether they want it or not. But I don't see myself going back into private practice. I still do forensic consulting, something that I've done uh, for 25 years now working with law enforcement and others on uh, forensic dentistry consulting. So I keep my license active. I'm one of these people that uh, doesn't want to close a door, uh, so I'll never say never. But likely going back into clinical practice, probably not. But I don't know where I'm going when I grow up. Yeah. Well, let's stay on the dentistry thing because uh, I think it should be pointed out really early in this discussion. You've done a lot of donation of work of your skills and your times. The poor 
people who've been affected by natural disasters. Maybe talk a little bit about some of that work that you've done, because that's something that it, not only is it needed in rural communities, it's needed throughout our societies. Maybe you can share kind of motivation for doing that and maybe some interesting stories that have come from that. Well, I've always felt that, you know, I have a skill set and I wanted to provide care to as many people as possible. And so I gave away a lot of dentistry, much to the chagrin of my staff sometimes and much to the potential detriment to my own bottom line. But I believe I was given a skill set and an opportunity to help people. And so I do that. And I extend that to work I've done with uh, the Department of Justice, helping them with their missing and unidentified persons unit, totally a volunteer thing. I've actually been a consultant for the Innocence Project. For people who don't know about that, look it up. It's, uh, it's actually looking to try to free people who have been incarcerated who may or not have committed the crime. And uh, a couple of my colleagues and I have been important in resolution of those cases. And there's four people now that were convicted of crimes they they didn't commit that are now free, partly because of our work. And so that kind of thing is really gratifying. The I think the other part that uh, some listeners may know, but and if they don't, then that's fine. I, uh, but uh, I do uh, the consulting for law enforcement, and that's usually identifying people who have died. Sometimes they've died of natural causes in their home, and they're not identifiable anymore. But more recently, around wildfires. And uh, in my own district in 2017, there were... Uh, you know, a lot of people that died, and I was the one who, who identified them from a dental means because, uh, with a ex- few exceptions, uh, they were all unidentifiable other ways. And then uh, during the Paradise Fire, I called OES and I said, Hey, if you need help, I'm happy to do it. And through the sheriff in uh, Butte County, he agreed to let me do that, and I oversaw the identification efforts of uh, people from the Paradise Fire. You know, once again, totally as a volunteer, I uh, worked out of Sacramento, and fortunately I have an apartment here, and and that allowed me to do that. But I spent a lot of time in the morgue in Sacramento helping to identify victims. And it's personally uh, difficult work, but it's also uh, really gratifying to know that at least that person, that family members, those family members can say with certainty that um, their loved one is gone or they're not. And I think it's really important information. Right. Well, on behalf of all of those communities, because what you mentioned, we're all, all rural RCRC member-oriented counties. Uh, on behalf of RCRC, we thank you for that, both the uh, the skill as well as the heart that you've committed to doing what is, like you said, very tough and often painful work, unfortunately, uh, under tragic circumstances. So let's let's go back to politics a little bit here. Um, so you made the transition, you kind of said, hey, um, my community is not what it should be, sometimes ignored, you know, not reaching its full potential, I'm going to do something about it. Was there one spark that got you on the Healdsburg City Council or something to that effect? Had you kind of always had politics in the back of your mind growing up? What kind of epiphany may have occurred? Yeah, I was probably one of those odd kids that was somewhat fascinated by politics as a kid. I used to get really frustrated. I remember this, that the uh, major networks would call the national elections before our polls closed. And I was really frustrated by that because even at you know 12 years old, I recognized that's not fair. Why, why are people being kept away from the polls or thinking that, that it's over? And uh, so I, I've always had an interest in politics. But, you know, actually, I started on a planning commission. That's really was my interest because I was concerned about parking in Healdsburg. Imagine that. As I was going through that term, couple of people from the city council said, why don't you run for city council? And so it was that I didn't, I didn't look to run for city council. I was asked and I considered it and I said, eh, let's, let's give it a go. 
And from Healdsburg, you, in essence, kind of walked into the state assembly. Oh, you think it was a walk-in. <laughs> I'm a believer you make your opportunities. And so I made the decision in uh, 2012 that I wanted to take a shot at it. And when the election was over uh, in 2012, I started working immediately on that. And ultimately, uh, you know, it looks like it was a walk-in, but there was a lot of work. I spent a lot of time driving up and down the district. Yeah, nobody gets to the assembly just really by walking in. No. Um, it is years and years of work. It's The best opponent is really no opponent, and it takes work to get in essence, opponent who's not funded, who's not well-known, who's not clearing the field, so to speak. So kudos to you for the work that you had to do. I'm sure you represent a very large geographical district all the way from the Oregon border to the outskirts of the city of Santa Rosa, if I'm correct, under the current lines. And that's a lot of geography to cover. It is. And I got curious uh, when I was first in the legislature and then the chief clerk, Dotson, one day I said, you know, I have a big district. How big is my district? And within about an hour, he came back and gave me the geographical size of the top five districts. And my district is the fifth largest in in the state, uh, the largest of any Democrat. And the other four, you figure it out. It's not difficult. Megan Dolly, Frank Bigelow, what was uh, Thurston Smith's district, and then Jim Patterson's district. Huge districts, but I'm the largest of any Democrat. And when you now think about this from a perspective, when you add Megan Dolly's district to mine, we represent 23% of the landmass in California. Yeah, yeah, these are huge. So how do you do it? I mean, it's a big district, somewhat diverse. I mean, you have probably more liberal pockets the more south you go, but you obviously have Arcata, which is very progressive, and then you have some very conservative rural areas. How do you balance all of that and balance a life by not living on the road every every weekend? Well, it is a very diverse district. And actually, I think in many ways, it's kind of a microcosm of California. We have some uh, very conservative areas in Del Norte County, um, very libertarian in, in Trinity County, and then and then the mix of everything. So I tell people, uh, you know, each county has its own unique personality. And it's like having, you know, five children from different mothers. Yeah, yeah. So what are the big issues that you have championed since being in the state assembly and thus far? What do you calculate as some of your biggest successes and what do you think some of your frustrations have been? Well, that's a wow, that's that's a big big question and uh, you know, our first uh, our first meetings were over cannabis and we got to know each other over that issue and I'm glad we did because I have tremendous respect for you and what you've done for RCRC. I got involved in cannabis because I listened to my districts, my constituents, and there was a lot of frustration over uh, the uh, illegal grows and the devastation to wildlife and watersheds and, and so on. And so that's why I got involved in that particular issue. And I was one of the authors that put together the Medical Cannabis Regulatory Safety Act, a bipartisan measure, uh, which included uh, Assemblymember Tom Lackey. And, uh, you know, that was, a, that was a big victory in, our, in our, my first year in the legislature when, you know, people said, you'll never be able to accomplish that. And then they said, well, you'll never be able to top it. And then so, you know, every year you bite off bigger things and you see what happens. Um, a variety of healthcare things that I think are really important the ability for small hospitals to be able to hire physicians directly. Medical Association hated that, but it's a huge benefit for our smaller hospitals, most of them obviously in RCRC counties. And, um, you know, for me, it's about improving access to healthcare. And that is not a partisan issue. And the biggest success I've had 
in the legislature has been working with both sides of the aisle. And that's really rewarding. And that's kind of the politics of old in many ways mm-hmm. in, in a world right now that we live in. You know, a variety of other things. I'm still struggle with the fact that broadband is a, is a huge challenge for us. And here we are, you know, i was been reflecting on this. Here we are five years after the you know, legalization for adult use for cannabis. And the issue that drove me to get involved is nowhere near close being to addressed. And I want to see more resources to go to protect our watersheds and uh, protect against the bad things I know are happening and to restore some of that to its former beauty. And uh, I'll continue fighting until I'm either unelected or run out of office. Yeah, let's stay on the cannabis issue for just a second. So again, for our listeners who may not be as familiar, we had a medical marijuana industry, you could argue for decades, the legislature stepped in and created a regulatory structure, some would argue very, very late relative to the early years, but nevertheless, it was done. And the, the impetus for the medical was to do exactly what you said, try to get a proper regulatory structure so we don't have an abuse of the environment, hopefully have some consumer protections, some sense of a responsible approach. And then right in the middle, just as that was taking effect, the voters approved an adult use, which I wouldn't say revolutionized things, but it, it hit the gas pedal to the whole thing. You've kind of alluded to, we still have an illegal grow problem, which brings all of the environmental concerns that are very astute on the North Coast, sadly. What do you think has worked And what do you think is needed to make it an even more stronger regulatory system? Much like I think most people would agree, we have a pretty functional alcoholic beverage control system or a pharmaceutical system and even a dental practice licensing system. What do you think needs to be done on cannabis? And what do you think has worked thus far? Well, I think for those people who have actually chosen to engage in the regulated market, it's worked. It's been difficult, and I think one of the things that we uh, advocated for was let's can we keep this simple uh, and and give people a chance to attain this to the best of our abilities. But you know, it ended up with three different agencies and you know manuals that are a hundred plus pages thick and and difficult for people to really you know even people that are highly educated to understand what their requirements are. So I think we failed in the simplicity part of it. I think that's, is that a criticism of California as a whole, though? Couldn't you make the argument? You know, people who grow corn face those same struggles. You're a dentist. I'm sure your profession has a lot of regulations that you may not find in New York or Ohio or something like that. Or do you really think we needed that and or can eliminate that, that burden? You're right. And let me give an example of that. Our ag committee, we have a new ag committee chair, Robert Rivas from Hollister, I guess, I believe is where he's from, San Benito County. In one of our informational hearings, he had Jason Mraz, the singer folk singer who has a farm in Oceanside. And Jason Mraz grows passion fruit and avocados and coffee. And it's all organic. You know, he's trying to do the right thing. And his plea, and this is someone who is very progressive on a number of fronts, was you guys keep putting stuff on us and it's really difficult and you're driving small farmers out of business. Could you just put the brakes on a little bit and give us a chance? And you would argue the same needs to be done for cannabis. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Give give them a chance and uh, and support them and with the technical assistance that they need. And you know, with the goal that we create the bright line, you're in or you're out. And then if you're out, we need to do something about that to make sure that your business model doesn't continue to survive. Right now, there's still a lot of gray out there. We've got provisional licenses out there, and those are going on for a long time. We need black and white 
not gray. We've had gray for 25 years. Right. So healthcare, you've obviously alluded to healthcare. You've obviously you're chair of the Assembly Health Committee, very important in terms of delivering healthcare to rural areas, but to all populations in this state. How are we doing there? Have we made some progress? Obviously, I think the Affordable Care Act has probably helped even in rural communities, despite some of the political rhetoric. What's your assessment there? We have made progress. I think the Affordable Care Act, the longer it goes and the more success we see. It is challenging, though. I think what has surprised me the most is that how difficult it is to do the right thing. Anything that we try to do that tries to change the system a little bit to improve access to care and quality of care is usually met with somebody who doesn't want it to change. And at times, uh, they're willing to spend millions of dollars to push back and fight. And, you know, we're fighting some of those battles this year. It's like, wow, I mean, shouldn't the charge be to get health care you know, quality health care to everyone. And so why are you so resistant to these changes? Because it upsets your business model. And I think that's a problem. Yeah, it's it's difficult. Some of the other observations in terms of what you're working on and the issues that you're tackling that I think our listeners would be most keen to hear about? Wildfires. An issue I never thought that I would begin to work on until 2017. Actually, 2015 a little bit because there were fires in uh, Lake County and Cecilia's district, and I helped identify some victims from there and actually went out on and walked through Middletown with uh, uh, recovery teams to see if we could, you know, locate additional victims. And those are the things in politics that, you know, I I thought I'm going to focus on the things that I want to focus on and then nature and other circumstances deal you this one. And wildfires has been a big one and ongoing there as well. You know, we're working to try to uh, work on getting more resources for prevention, for home hardening, for a defensible space. And sometimes even our own, our, own, our own government is the most resistant to, to those kinds of changes. And that I find really, really frustrating. Right. Again, giving our listeners some background here, um, Selman Wood has been a champion on this issue. I don't think anyone in the legislature has fought as hard on the resources side than you, making sure that when a deal is cut, it's properly funded so that it works. And at all, all expense, you have just gone ahead and said, I don't care, you need to get this money. And it's, it's no good writing these laws if you can't get the resources into these communities. And so I know RCRC thanks you immensely for that and continuing the fight, because I think, as you just said, there's a lot of resistance, whether it's delivering health care or it's just institutional bureaucracy or malay, you still got to fight and you still got to fight to get that. It's uh, incredibly important. But back to the wildfires, are we making progress there? Or do you think this is just so overwhelming and that the forces of nature and true nature, not just, you know, human nature, but the, the fact that this is a very arid area and we have these seasons and we have these cycle drought, just the nature of the state is going to make it difficult. Can we make progress and what do we do and what's your assessment there? I think we can make progress, but I think it's going to require uh, thinking differently and with a huge amount of respect to Cal Fire and the work they do when we get into wildfire season which seems to be a year-round thing now. You know, one of the things that I'm concerned about is that there really isn't the time and the resources and to do the prevention part of this. And so we've got to find a different mechanism to do these things uh, because there's only so much time in the day. And so I really want to see more of a dedicated prevention force out there to, to help do the home hardening and, and whatever. And wherever it lands, I don't really care. I just want it to happen. I want to give credit to something that uh, we, we call it the Dollywood plan, Dolly being D A. 
H-L-E. You know, my working with Brian Dolly in, you know, 2018 on Senate Bill 901, which got a billion dollars, 200 million over five years for vegetation management was a big, big deal. And those are the kinds of things that are potentially transformative and we need more of them. Absolutely. So let's kind of tie it back to your local experience and maybe hit home here because, as you know, RCRC has uh, locally elected officials to it. How we do land use practices and siting homes, siting structures. We've had to do a lot of introspective here as an organization about what our land use authority should be and what those restrictions should be in terms of siting development in fire-prone areas. Where do you see that kind of from being a legislator and a macro view, but also in your days on the Planning Commission and the Healdsburg City Council kind of intersect your thoughts about where the responsibilities for local government lie? Well, it's a tough one. I am a big uh, proponent of local control. I think that nobody knows their community like the people that live in those communities. And so, so I, I want to give deference to those people who, uh, who represent those areas. But I would hope that they would start to think a little differently when they start approving uh, projects and that uh, for those projects and, and homes that they may have approved, I hope that we can find that those same jurisdictions can be helpful in helping people protect those somewhat in retrospect from devastating fires and some of that obviously requires resources and I think that's our job at the state level is to make sure those resources get out and can be well utilized and so I'm a big believer in regional approaches to issues like this because the one-size-fits-all approach of state government usually means that our rural communities suffer and don't get the resources we need and that's wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think in the legislature, particularly starting in 2017 and 2018, there's been an understanding, a better understanding, particularly of those urban legislators, just how important this conversation is to the state as a whole? Or do you think it still cycles with the fire season being it's an issue in August and September in the legislature, and then it rains, and then we go back to healthcare and education, and, and we forget, oh my gosh, it's going to be fire season by May or June. Do you see that shift uh, occurring, or are we kind of still back in the same cycle? Sadly, it's it's slowly. You know, I remember seeing an article in the Chronicle about people in San Francisco, you know, upset about the the smoke and and the air and how it was affecting their lives. And I thought, wow, you know, think about what's how it's affecting my life um, as I'm out here in the area where the fire actually is, and and yet. That's more, it's more of a, uh, we don't like the smoke, rather than what do we need to do to create an environment that doesn't allow for the smoke to happen? There seems to be uh, something that's lost in translation there, and, um, and that's still a struggle. And it's a struggle for healthcare too. I, I learned very early on uh, that you know when I look at healthcare and I think about the challenges of rural areas, I started thinking about some of my colleagues in urban areas, and there's a lot of underserved or unserved urban areas. And so as you begin to rethink the way you look at things, we need to, you know, I need to find that same nexus with with wildfires. And unfortunately, climate change seems to be doing that for me. I mean, look at the fire in Topanga Canyon, for crying out loud, in the last week or so. How in the world does that happen uh, And when it's raining, you know? And so that just shows you how critically dry we, things are now and, and uh, what, a, what dire straits we potentially are in. Yeah. So let's go back to some politics in our ah. remaining moments. Uh, it's a redistricting year. Yeah. Lines are going to change. Lines always sometimes end political careers. Sometimes they 
open new political careers. Where do you see you fitting in with redistricting or with politics in general? Obviously, you're very talented, very skilled. You represent your district very well. What lies in the future of Assemblyman Jim Wood? Wow. You know, I think a lot of us will look at the redrawing of the lines and have to, you know, assess and maybe, maybe my home will be actually within the district lines. And, um, and if it's not, I'll, I'll have to figure how I'm going to deal with that. But my intention is to stay in the legislature. And so don't necessarily want to have to move, but if I have to move to do that, so be it. What I don't want to do is be in a position where I have to challenge a friend, you know, and I look around the legislators around me. I don't want to fight against them because I have tremendous respect for them. And uh, so my hope is that, you know, I can stay where I am and continue to serve from there. And if I can't, then I'll, I'll adjust and uh, continue to serve the people of, it's the second district now, who knows what they might call it in the future. Right. Right. Well, there'll be a lot of opportunities, I'm sure. Uh, and as you th- said early on, you make your opportunities and who knows what uh, what will lie ahead. Thank you for your time today coming on in here. It's good to see you in person uh, now that we're getting our way out of the pandemic, but it's good to it's good to see you in person. And I do uh, mean that again. Congratulations uh, to the success you've had and the work you've done on behalf of rural counties. Uh, I think rural counties owe you a debt of gratitude. And, and we would not be where we are without the the dedication of you and many of your rural colleagues. So thank you for joining us and thank you for your work. Well, thank you. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity. Um, Thank you for the friendship and the opportunity to work with you. And I treasure my rural colleagues and I will continue to work with them throughout the process and be that voice, hopefully on the other side of the aisle that can really um, tell people, hey, we're all Californians. We're all in this together. We all deserve the same opportunities and I'll keep fighting for that. Well, we really appreciate that. Thank you again, Dr. Wood, Mr. Wood, and just plain old Jim. Thank you. You've been listening to Hometown California, a production of the Rural County Representatives of California. Subscribe now so you don't miss an episode, and be sure to rate and review this podcast. I'm your host, Paul Smith, and thanks for listening.